<laughs> Ed Mullen, welcome to Live from the Heartland. Hi, Ed. Look at that grin. <laughs> Hi, Katie. Hi, Michael. How are you today? So I'm so glad. This is the first time you've been on this show. And and uh, so well, let's introduce you. I, You and I first met each other on the Chewy campaign, I think. Or in I think it was actually the Quinn campaign in 14. Oh, f- it was before that. Okay, great. Um, so what I know you uh, most about is election-related law issues. And um, so tell us, where did you come from, anyway? Were you born and raised in Chicago? <laughs> I was not. I was uh, born and raised in Albany, New York. Oh, that's right. And uh, the way that I first got interested in politics was Mario Cuomo, before he was the governor of New York, came to my high school and spoke on Earth Day. And I he gave a speech. Mario Cuomo. And I was I was so impressed by the speech that he gave that uh, they were standing outside with clipboards when we left the school auditorium. I signed up and volunteered on his first campaign when I was like 15 or 16 uh, when he won his first gubernatorial race in New York. And haven't uh, looked back since. Haven't looked back since. But I got involved in the election stuff when I realized that there were progressive candidates in Chicago who were getting kicked off the ballot and didn't really have the knowledge or expertise to gauge their way around the election laws. Mm -hmm. And so it was not a part of my official practice, but I was trying to help um, progressive candidates make sure that they were not kicked off the ballot. And now it's become a pretty significant part of the work that I do. Right, right. And it's still an issue, as we know. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's always been an issue. Uh, it's one that I've been aware of. I'm I'm known on this show in the inner circles for kind of going out of sync and throwing things off track. But I got to go back to the New York thing, to Albany, New York, where my daughter Koya was born. there he born. goes. But I do. Uh, I just want to ask you a quick question. Now that Como is the governor, uh, and we have it's De Blasio in New York. Uh, yeah, it's his son. What do you make of that little battle going on between De Blasio and uh, uh, Como? Well, de Blasio is a much more progressive um, you know, mayor than Cuomo is governor. And, you know, Cuomo has been um, chastised for working too much with the Republicans and not letting the Democrats take control of the Senate and not holding a special election. And I think um, I, I think it's an interesting thing to watch, especially as we move toward 2020 and Andrew Cuomo is making noises about potentially running for president, um, you know, having someone to his left there who is uh, a thorn in his side, I think is going to be a problem for him. Okay, that's good. On a, for New York people, they want to know what's going on over there. So let's, let's come up to this past week, uh, the election this week. Um, what's the good news? What's the bad news in your um, observation about this about the election we just had the primary on Tuesday. Well, well, I think there was a there was a lot of good news and there was a lot of bad news. So there's a lot to talk about. Yes. I think uh, in terms of the good news from from my perspective, uh, you know, we have a a new assessor who is not only um, you know a progressive independent person who has uh, defeated someone who is a long time uh, part of the Cook County. Democratic organization, but he's also the chair of the Cook County Democratic mm-hmm. Organization, and I think the idea that uh, a progressive can beat someone who is that steeped in the the institutions, I think, is a um, good bellwether for especially the aldermanic and mayoral elections coming up in uh, 2019. So it, it seemed to me that in the case of Fritz Kagi, who you're talking about, the new assessor, the, the Democratic candidate for assessor, which 
means he'll be the new assessor, I believe. Um, he, he lined up a lot of support early uh, from Democratic committeemen, Democratic office holders, to who were, whether they came out publicly or just did it quietly, um, were ready to not support Joe Berrios, right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I mean, n- not way early. I think he had to show some credibility in the campaign that he was running, and uh-huh. he had to you know, build an organization, raise money. He put a lot of his own money into the race, showing that he was serious about it. And, and I think once he showed that he was serious and once the polling showed that uh, Berrios was kind of stuck um, way below 50%, mm. I, I think people felt safe jumping ship and, and uh, supporting him. Well, there was kind of a curveball in this race, too, though. We have Andrea Rayla, who uh, has been a progressive person in around. A lot of us know her and like her. Uh, she also was in the race, and she had some uh, petitions that apparently were pretty rough, and uh, she went back and forth being on the ballot, off the ballot, whether you could vote for her or not, whether it counted. Do you have anything you can share about where that's going to go? Well, I'm not sure where it's going to go. I can tell you a little bit about where it's where it's been, um, you know, and, and I know Andrea, I know um, Fritz, and I, I know the folks who are running Joe Berrios' campaign, so I've got, I've got a lot of, uh, you know, mix, of mixed feelings about, <laughs> about everything that went on. But, um, you know, one of the problems that we have with election law and the, uh, the races is that there's not a lot of time to go through the entire objection process before the ballots have to be printed. Right. So you file your objections. This year it was December 11th, and the ballot has to be certified by January 13th. Crazy. And you've got Christmas and you've got New Year's in that time period. So you've got an intensely short period of time that you've got to do a lot of litigation. And here you go to the election hearing officer, then you go to the electoral board, then you go to the circuit court, and then you go to the appellate court. So you've got four different jurisdictions Mm -hmm. that you've got to stop at before you get a final decision. Mm -hmm. Now, there may be a petition for hearing by the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court doesn't have to take it. And given the fact that, uh, you know, the election's over, I, I think it's unlikely that the Supreme Court is gonna gonna look at it. Right, but the but as you mentioned before, this is one of the areas that all of us as progressives in politics have observed for years. Uh, there's a, ver- a variety of pieces, including the calendar itself. I mean, why do we do? Why do we set up an election that has to uh, one happen in the winter, and also? Uh, cover the the holidays that everybody takes off why don't we start at the new year and have the election say in april or may when people can actually uh, you know knock doors without yeah, freezing why can't we do that I, I, I'd be happy to let you do that, Katie. Um, unfortunately, that's that's not my decision. Um, it, it's the decision of people who have been elected under this system. And so the right. system works for them. And they use the system to make sure that they continue to have that power. So if you have progressives that are not using the television and mail to run a campaign, they're door knocking. And it's not good to door knock in January and February. So it makes it much more difficult for the grassroots progressive candidates to succeed. Um, One of the other 
issues, though, is the presidential campaign. So moving your primary up early in the year right. gives you a little more say in choosing the president. And, you know, we did that around the time of Barack Obama running to try to we you know, give him a little, we little bit of a boost. moved it to February. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, so, so there are advantages and disadvantages right. of, of where it is, but the compressed schedule um, makes it really difficult to go through the challenge process. And that questions whether or not we should even have a challenge process. In, in uh, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. they, they have a board that looks at the petitions and they determine whether or not the petitions are valid. They, they do more work than the, the boards here in, in Illinois, but there, there is no challenge process. It's, it's just the board going through the petitions and deciding whether or not people should be on the ballot. So What, what are you inclined, do you like, do you prefer that model? You don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I think uh -huh. I think there are advantages to it. I think um, we've got a system now where um, it's not only difficult to get on the ballot, but because of the the process, you can file an objection and you can go to trial and evidentiary hearing on the objection, even if it's not a valid objection. Right. And that ties up the money, that ties up the time. Um, people aren't going to endorse a candidate who's being challenged. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to give money to a candidate that's being challenged. So the whole process has a much greater impact on the campaign than just the election ballot access piece right, of it. Right. Um, you started by saying there's good news and bad news. So let's get, let's get beyond the assessor's race. What other things that uh, results stand out to you as uh, good news, particularly? Well, I think one of the um, things that it's not official, um, but Cam Davis, who is uh, doing a write-in, and I understand he was on your show a couple weeks ago. On the 10th. Yes. So um, uh, he was a write-in candidate for a two-year term on the Water Reclamation District Board. And the reason for that is because Tim Bradford passed away mm -hmm. actually during the period of time that the petitions were being filed. So right. there wasn't time to get a new um, right. process to get other names on the ballot. So it was a write-in campaign, and you needed to get a, a minimum of a little over 8,000 people to write down your name in order to qualify. So even if you came in first, if you only got 5,000 people to write in your name, you wouldn't qualify for the ballot for the fall, and Bruce Rauner would appoint His own someone for that, for that two-year term. So um, a lot of folks uh, worked really hard to make sure that uh, people knew about the write-in, and the Chicago Board of Elections has released the numbers for just the touch screens, uh -huh. not the paper ballots. They're actually uh -huh. counting those today. Oh. Um, and Cook County has not released numbers yet. But just in Chicago, just on the touch screens, Cam got over 9,600 votes. Um, and the next highest vote getter got 1,600. And so I voted on paper. So my vote. Your vote will we'll your vote is being counted today. Yeah. Um, and why is it it's important, the Water Reclamation District? Why is this race uh, sort of symbolic? It's more than symbolic. It, uh, well, it, it, I don't mean it like it didn't matter, but it's like it's an important race. We thought it was important to get uh, people to come out for Cam. And uh, he comes from, a, you know, he has a lot of experience. He's a good guy. Absolutely. That's what I, was after, Kate. I mean, I mean, he's an environmentalist. He he believes in you know protection of our lakes and our our rivers and our water, and that's really you know what we want to see in someone on the water reclamation district. You know, back when I first moved to Chicago a long time ago, it, it 
the water reclamation district was kind of known as a dumping ground for for people you needed to find a spot for in the in the political world. And now, um, you know, I think thanks to people like Deborah Shore and you know others, Josina Marita, it's, Josina, um, it it's become a much um, more environmentally activist activist board. And I I think that's you know that's really good for and our they, city. And the, the guy who heads it water up is more crucial too. The guy who heads it up is also. De Pietro, or uh, I forget his name. De, uh, anyway, back to the election. Um, what about what about uh, Chewy? What about uh, the, the people, other races? Like Chewy got a lot of press about you know really being a winner, bringing a bunch of people along. What are your thoughts on that? Right. So Chewy um, won Chewy with Garcia, Chewy, Chewy Garcia won with over sixty uh, percent of the vote, um, going to Congress after you know losing the the mayoral runoff, and I think that's 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 great. Um, uh, but what I think is even even stronger is that uh, you know he didn't just go on his own. He brought a lot of people along with him. So mm-hmm. Alma Anaya, he uh, who had worked for him in the Cook County, uh, he brought her along, and and she wound up uh, winning a, a what what seemed to be a pretty nasty race on the ground um, for his seat on the Cook County Board. Aron Ortiz uh, won his race against uh, Dan Burke, who has been in office uh, since I was three. Yeah, um, that's, that's Ed Burke's brother got knocked off. Yes, right? yes, and so that's that, a good thing. That that that's a good thing, and you know, there's there's talk about going going, uh, you know, that same group going after Ed, Ed Burke in the aldermanic elections. You know, who's been in office? Ooh. And you better uh, look out. So, <laughs> you know, and and they they work together, and they they brought out the vote, and you know. Pushed a, a strong progressive message. Um, state Central Committee, talk to us about that. Well, a lot of people don't know what the State Central Committee right. is. It's it's thirty uh, six people who vote for Mike Madigan uh, as chair of the Democratic Party of Illinois, and there's two people elected in each congressional district, one male, one female, and usually those are races that are very under the radar and uh, you know people who are very involved in the uh, the institutional politics get uh, selected to be on there and you know the Bernie folks ran a slate of uh, of people not not all 36 about half of the the, the races and how'd Maggie you know, do hmm? how'd Maggie do Maggie Wonderly you know she did not win oh I did not dang. see the totals okay. um, but uh, but not a lot of them won uh-huh. um, Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth, very disappointing, did robocalls against our candidates uh, in very support of uh, the the incumbents and mm-hmm. in support of the folks that uh, they were paid by Michael Madigan, the, the phone calls. And so that was very disappointing to me to see. Right. Um, but what I like about this is it brought attention, I think, to the structure of the Democratic Party and the fact that the Democratic Party in Illinois is not an <laughs> open system and you know surprise, what, what surprise. does it mean yeah what does it mean to be a democrat i mean how do you how do you become a part of the party and and right. in a lot of other states there's been an ability for more progressive folks to get involved in the party and to become a part of the party structure and here the entry barriers are so high that we haven't been able to do that. But I think we brought some attention to it. There was a lot of press coverage. Um, the Sun-Times ran a big article. The Chicago Tonight did a, did a show on it and had some of our candidates. And I think, you know, four years from now, I think we'll, we'll be more organized and have time to educate people and, you know, I think really make a difference in, in the way that our party operates and is open to people around the state. 
we're going to have to have you on to further educate people, um, and also before the November election. But I, I, before we started, I also was going to ask about the municipals, and uh, we decided we didn't have enough time to go there. We've got Michael, a few more minutes, though, Kate. We actually only have one, but go ahead, Michael. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I'm going to ask you uh, your thoughts on, uh, you mentioned our senators and coming out for candidates that you and probably and I didn't support. But uh, what about the governor's race, where our two senators jumped right in behind our billionaire, who I got to say I was really impressed with J.B.'s speech the night uh, and also both of the concession speeches. But your thoughts on that whole thing where the establishment Democrats, whether they're sort of progressive or not, are supporting the not-so-progressive candidates? Right. I think it was the senators. It was also Susanna Mendoza, Mike Frerichs. I mean, it was up and down, you know, the the state. Um, people came out and supported supported J.B. Pritzker early. And I think, um, you know, I, the, a lot of the people that I talked to said it came down to money. And the idea that if we were going to beat Bruce Rauner in the fall, we had to have a lot of money and that J.B. Pritzker had that. And if he is spending his own money to get himself elected and to support uh, the infrastructure to get himself elected, then the other candidates can spend their money on, on other things. So they can, they can work on the Senate, uh, they can work on the House, they can work on other seats. So I think uh, a, lot of, a lot of people early on saw money as the big factor in, in why we needed J.B. Pritzker to beat Bruce Rauner. One last question, and that would be about the county board. Uh, you and I were talking earlier that Brendan Johnson, who was out of the CTU, Chicago Teachers Union, uh, beat Boykin. And uh, Boykin, along with Fritchie, were two people on the county board who really were against the soda tax. And they both lost. Any thoughts on that as we go out to the next segment? Well, I mean, that, that was my thought uh, that, that you just said. Um, you know, it was just very interesting that the two people who were the face of, of repealing the soda tax and opposing the soda tax were two of the folks that lost on, on Election Day. And Tony Preckwinkle, who was the face of the tax, um, won with over 60 percent of the vote. So um, it, I, I found that very interesting. Ed Mullen, thank you for your work. Thank you for coming here today. Um, don't forget, we take pictures of people here before you leave. So um, try to stick around. Is what please she's listen to, or you are listening to WLUW 88.7 FM, live from the Heartland. Please like us on Facebook. And here comes Les Brown with Jolton Joe DiMaggio.